All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you could join us today. Uh, again, thankful for uh, all, the, all those who grabbed the Bible last week. That was super encouraging. The fact that we ran out of Bibles and we had to order more. Uh, we hope they can all be gone today as well. And we just ask that you could read it and it'd be great because that's been our vision this upcoming year. Uh, we, if you've been here with us, you know that our vision for 2023 is we want to grow to be a church that doesn't just uh, know the Bible, it doesn't just believe in the Bible, but actually reads the Bible. And I know for some of us, it's something that is a discipline that's hard or it's a practice that's been missing. And so that's what this whole season has been about. Uh, we have a Bible reading plan that we invite you to join us in. If you haven't even started it, it's not too late. You can just start with us. If you want to catch up, all good. If you want to start where we're going, that'd be awesome. But it's on our Instagram link tree and our website. We also have formation groups where groups of four are gathering together and they're just discussing what they're reading in the Bible. And it's awesome. And again, we've been going through a sermon series talking about the Bible. And uh, if you this is your first time here, the, talking about the Bible and looking at the Bible, what the Bible says about the Bible, we were looking at five different questions that we wanted to answer each week. We first started this whole series asking this very basic question, which is, what is the Bible? Like, how will we describe what the Bible is? And we said at our church that the Bible is a divine and human library of books that tell one unified story which leads to Jesus. It's not just one book, but it's multiple books, and it tells a story, and it's all about Jesus Christ. And then part two, we asked the question, why do we need the Bible, though? Why do we need it in our lives? And we mentioned how it shows us a map to reality where it reveals the true needs that we have in life. And in part three, we said, but why should we trust the Bible? There's a lot of crazy stuff in the Bible. If you actually read it, you have to reconcile stories about the Bible, how it makes sense. And very basically, we said, because we are followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus, and if we follow Jesus who trusted the Bible, we also trust the Bible. And then last week, we asked the question, well, what's the purpose of the Bible? If you keep reading this text, what is it supposed to do to you? And last week, we said it is ultimately to form you to the human who God envisioned you to be, someone who loves God and loves others. There's many things the Bible does, but this is the whole point of the law and the prophets, as Jesus said, to love God and to love one another. Today, we are going to ask one final question. We're going to end the series today. And the last question might be the most practical and even the most needed in our church, which is, how do I read the Bible? How do I actually read and engage this text that, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I feel like I'm supposed to, but how do I practically, day by day, read this? And that's the question that we'll be answering today. Uh, the text that we'll be looking at to answer this question, there's three texts that we're going to be uh, Pointing to Matthew 22, Hebrews 4, and Romans 15. We're going to read all three. And in our church, we actually like to read and stand knowing that the Lord is speaking. So if we all rise together as we read the text together. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 29 to 33. And then we're going to jump to Hebrews 4 and then read Romans 15 verse 4. So in verse 29 of Matthew 22, Matthew writes, But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. 
And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Jumping over to Romans 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then lastly, Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin our time. Lord, would we know that you are here, present when your church gathers. May your spirit move as we go through your word, and may you speak about your word to us today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Back in 2007, there's a book that I'm pretty sure most people in this room did not hear about, but it's a, it's a kind of a satirical book. It's, the title is even catching. It's called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. Now, what this book is about, the author's name is A.J. Jacobs. He grew up in a secular home, but he was Jewish. He was a Jewish man, and he, at one point when he was older, tried to understand his Jewish faith. And he did so by trying to read the Jewish scriptures, which is the Old Testament. Uh, But how do you read this thing? Like, how do you read the Bible? And so Jacob's, what he was told by different people is, you got to take the Bible literally. You must read it literally. And that's exactly what he did. Every day he would spend hours reading the Bible. And every time he ran into a command, he would type it up in his power book. Every single command that was there. And as soon as he finished typing all the commands, he tried to live it out today in modern times. And so, for example, Leviticus 19 says you should not cut off your beard. So Jacob's, he grew out his beard. And it was nice and long. Deuteronomy 14 talks about you shouldn't eat pork. So he took out pork from his diet and did not eat pork at all. Leviticus 19 also says you should separate certain types of clothing together. So he separated all his clothes and his household and made sure that they don't mixing and matching. Deuteronomy 22 is challenging. It says you should stone an adulterer. And so he was like, ooh. So he went to the streets and he looked at prostitutes and he got pebbles and started throwing them at these prostitutes because he was trying to be biblical. He was trying to live out the Bible as faithfully as possible. Now, obviously, he was being satirical. He was kind of poking fun. uh, But he actually thought this was an interesting thought experiment of like, if you really had to read the Bible, is, is this the way you're supposed to read it? Is this the way you're supposed to practice it? And, you know, when we hear that, it's obviously kind of silly. None of us here would take the Bible literally in that sense. But I think a lot of us, we would have to admit, to read the Bible, there's still a struggle. Like, how do you engage in this thing? How do you read an ancient book like the Bible when you don't understand what's going on? Like, our whole series is about read scripture. But tomorrow, when you open the text and you happen to land in a, in a random passage in Matthew, or if you're going through the Old Testament, a random passage in Job, what do you do with it? And for a lot of us, we don't know. Or how can you read the Bible in a way where you get something out of it? In fact, what does it look like to get something out of it? My community group, one thing that we were discussing at one time was, well, when do you know you had a good Bible reading? And I was like, what does that mean? Like, how do you know that you did it right? It's a good question. Like, how is it a real good Bible reading? Or how can you read the Bible in a way where you're motivated to read it and it's not just this checklist? Because a lot of us, we just do it. We don't know why we're doing it, but we know we should, so we just check it off. I know personally for me, this was a struggle for a long time when I first became a Christian. And I heard, man, I heard so many sermons about how to read the Bible. I read so many Christian books about how to read the Bible, and they all basically say the same thing, which is you should get a small portion, like five, ten verses, read the section, you should interpret it, 
and then you should apply it into your life. Read it, interpret it, apply. I was like, okay, that's simple enough, but what ended up happening was, because that was my paradigm, this is the cycle, as I would call it, of how I would read my Bible. I would try to read the Bible, open the passage, read it, but when I read it, I don't get much from it, so my main thought is, well, what did I just read? And I shrug, I go, I don't know, but at least I read, and then I just move on to my day, and as I the, the season goes on, you know, because it's like, I don't get much out of it. There's some days where it's busy, some days where I have a crazy week, and I just don't read that day. I skip reading that one day. And then it becomes another day. And then it becomes another day. And what happens? I just stop. I stop a long season. I just don't read my Bible until I hear a sermon like this, where it's like, hey, read your Bible. I go, I should be reading my Bible my community group tells me, hey, how are you doing spiritually? Oh, you know, I'm not doing well. I should be reading my Bible. So I start reading my Bible again, and the cycle repeats. Is that your cycle as well? Is that what you go through? Like, you, I should read my Bible. I'm a follower of Jesus. But you kind of run into this rut that happens over and over again. And what happens is that's you. What ends up happening is there's this new modern phenomenon. That's, there's, a, there's actually a term for it. It's called the post-Bible Christian the post-Bible Christian, where you're a Christian and you're, you know you can't let go of the Bible, like you know this is supposed to be important, but you don't engage it regularly. It's just not present in your life outside of Sundays. So what do we do? How do we break out of this Bible reading cycle that gets us stuck, that leads to a, post-Christ, a post-Bible Christian? How do we read the Bible where it's not just this discipline or just like information, but where it's actually doing something to us when we engage in it? My hope today is to be helpful in that, answering that question. For those of you, you ha- you're in that cycle of, I've stopped a long time. I saw all your Bible reading plans. I'm not, yeah, sorry. I'm just not doing it. For all of you who are in that boat, or for some of you, you know, I'm reading it. It's just, ah, it's, I skip a lot and it's hard. Or for some of you, do I read this every day and it's so dry. Like I just, to be honest, don't get anything out of it. It is not life-giving at all. If you are in that boat, my goal is to help you. I want to be practical. I hope it's practical. I hope it could be applied starting tomorrow, especially for those of you who are reading it. And for those of you who are not reading it, I hope it could help motivate you today to read it. And so to do so, we're going to answer three questions. Number one, how should we read the Bible? How should we actually approach reading this this text? Secondly, what should it look like to read the Bible? Like, what does it look like practically? And then lastly, why should we bother reading the Bible? So how, can I, how should I reread it? What does it look like? We'll spend the most time with that second point. But then lastly, why should we even bother reading it? First, though, how should we read the Bible? I always say a good place to start when you're asking anything about Christianity is to look at Jesus. How did Jesus read the Bible? How did he practically do this? And Matthew 22 is a very interesting passage, the one that we're looking at, because this whole passage, some of you, if you've been to church, you might be familiar with this. This is a passage where a group of people, they're called the Sadducees, they're religious leaders, they go up to Jesus, and they have a question about the resurrection. And they're trying to trap Jesus. And they ask Jesus, so imagine there's a woman, and she marries a husband, and she marries another husband, because all these husbands are dying, and she ends up having seven husbands on earth. In the resurrection, who is her husband? There's seven different dudes. And this, the whole discussion about this passage is about marriage and resurrection and so forth. And Jesus, he replies to them saying, 
you don't know the scriptures. That's why you're, you don't know the answer. And he talks about how in the resurrection, there will be no marriages because all relationships change. And that's the main point of this passage. But if you look at the text, one thing that's really interesting is how did Jesus come to that conclusion? It's because the way Jesus reads his Bible is very fascinating. We capture a glimpse of it in verse 31 and 32. Look what it says in verse 31 of Matthew. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Very fascinating. And then he goes, a quote, it's those quotation marks, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Do you know what those quotation marks are from? He is quote, Jesus is quoting from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. There's a passage in Exodus 3 where Moses, he is going to a mountain. He sees a burning bush. That sounds familiar, children Bible story. And God starts to speak to Moses from a burning bush saying, I am the God of Jacob and of Isaac and of Abraham. I'm the living God. And what's so fascinating about that is even though God was speaking to Moses hundreds of years ago, Jesus says that God, do you know what he said to you, Sadducees? Interesting. Jesus believed this story that took place Years and years ago, in the past, God is using it to address you right now in the present. He's speaking to you. Why? Because God is the God of the living, not of the dead. God is alive. He's speaking to the living. And so when we read our Bibles, the claim that Jesus is almost making is that you're actually encountering the living God talking to you. David Pallison, he's a counselor and he, uh, uh, he's a counselor, and he wrote a lot of stuff about the Bible, and he says this, quote, The Bible is written to others, but speaks to you. The Bible is about God, but draws you in. Your challenge is always to reapply Scripture afresh, because God's purpose is always to re-script your life. The Bible is written to others, but he's actually speaking to you right now through it. You know, one genre that I enjoy reading are biographies. I can't wait to read the, the most recent Bob Iger biography, the, the, this Disney CEO, and I just like learning about their life and how they got to the places that they're at. Do you guys know who the most, uh, the most, the person with the most biographies written about them? Like, this is the one person, there's, nobody has more biographies about this person than this person. Abraham Lincoln. 15,000 different books written about Abraham Lincoln. If you read one of these biographies, you will learn so much about his upbringing, his political career, his involvement in the Civil War. If you read all the biographies, you will learn different details about all this. But no matter if, if you read all of them, you know one thing that you'll never get from his biographies? You will never meet him. You will never engage Abraham Lincoln. He's dead. You'll learn a lot about him, but you will never be able to be in the presence of Abraham Lincoln. Jesus, though, he makes an astonishing claim where he says this ancient text that we call the Bible what we learn, even though it's a lot of things about God, what he did in the past, God is actually living. And he is speaking to you as you engage in this. So in other words, how do we read the Bible? One way I like to put it, summarize it is like this. We read the Bible not so that we can know it, but that so we can know and love God through it. There's a person that we're engaging with. Our main goal when we read the Bible it's not engaging the Bible, but engaging the God of the Bible. You need the Bible to engage him, but we're engaging God. There's a difference. There's a big difference when you're just engaging the Bible, or if you realize that, way, I'm engaging the God of the Bible through the Bible. 
And perhaps this is what makes for a lot of us Bible reading so challenging. Because you are engaging the Bible, but you forget that there's a living God who is speaking through this. Because if you're only looking at the Bible and engaging in this, you are treating it as an ancient artifact, as ancient words that are very interesting, that might be kind of dense. But who wants to read a history book every single day? This is how a lot of us read the Bible. It's very impersonal. It's very informational. Earlier this year, I got, I got a, an encouraging email where it said, Hey, Pastor Tom, you know, thank you for all that you do as a pastor. I said, oh, someone wrote an email encouraging me. And it was really encouraging. They were saying, you know, you went through a lot this past year. Like we, I realized you went through a lot. Like you had to navigate the church through COVID. There's political divisions that were taking place. All that plus you were preaching every week. Plus you're leading your staff. Seriously, great job. Signed, the Gospel Coalition. You guys know what the Gospel Coalition is? It's like this Christian network. And I was like, you know, what an awesome newsletter that I got. It really tried to speak into my heart and encourage me. But to be honest, even though like had some interesting content, just didn't do much for me. I'm like, thanks, TGC, like whoever you are. And that was it. That was how the letter, the email impacted me. A few weeks ago, a member messaged me, and they were messaging me saying, hey, can uh, Pastor Tom, can you pray for me? And they were kind of sharing about their struggles and their life. It's kind of scattered all over the place. They were kind of updating me what was going on, and they barely mentioned me. They weren't saying like, nice things about me. They were just talking about themselves, about their lives, and so forth. But you know, I was way more interested in reading that than I was that TGC newsletter. Like, way more interesting. And I, had, I read it again because I wanted to make sure what was this person saying. Because I know I was engaging a person. There's a person behind this. There's a person who's writing this. There's a person talking to me about this. And in a similar way, this is what I think Jesus is saying with the Bible. There's someone speaking through this. Do you believe that? That's a living God who's alive. And he's trying to communicate to you. And if you believe that, we are not just engaging, therefore, a text, but we are engaging the God who is writing the scripture to us. I like the way one author puts it, quote, he says, why don't we read our Bibles? It's because we forget that God's word is alive. Open your Bible. The spirit lives within you to help you understand God's will and character because the living God speaks to you through his living word right here, right now. And so, church, when you read your Bible, are you engaging with the Bible? Or are you engaging with the God of the Bible? Are you trying to learn more about this? Or are you trying to learn more about him? What's been your mentality? And again, perhaps this is one reason why the Bible is so challenging, because we're not reading the Bible in the way that we're sensing God is speaking to us. And if that's the challenge, well, how do we do that? How do we actually sense, well, is God, God speaking to me right now? That leads to the second point. What should it look like to read the Bible? How do we read the Bible where it's not just information, but formation? Not just knowing it, but knowing him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is a fascinating passage that a lot of us are familiar with. The author of Hebrews says it like this. The word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, joint of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's very consistent with what Jesus is saying. The word of God is alive. 
because someone is speaking through the word of God. And it's like a sword. It's something that's, uh, that's able to cut something, not just armor, but something even harder than armor. It cuts your heart. It pierces you. And it's meant to be deep. Like when you read this text, it is supposed to like go deep where you know God in a deep way and you know yourself in a deep way. That's what happens when you engage in this. And I don't know about you, but that is not my experience so many times when I read this. Because a lot of times the way we read the Bible, it affects the effect that it has in us. For a lot of us here, I've alluded to it in the past few weeks, when we read the Bible, it's what I call ordinary Bible reading. It's all discipline. You're reading it where you follow a reading plan. You read the text. You have no idea what you're reading, but at least you're reading it. Discipline. It's good for you. And again, better than nothing. If that's you, that's better than nothing. But that's the only way you're approaching the text. What's going to happen is your relationship with God's going to feel really shallow after a while. And you're really engaging just the Bible. You're not really engaging the God of the Bible. And so if you're like me, some of you, you want to break out of that rut. So you don't just do an ordinary Bible reading thing. You do intentional Bible reading or like study it. You get a lot of information from it where you want to like, hey, give me the commentaries. Give me the resources. Give me the books. I know for me, like after college, man, I got deep into this where I was like, dude, I want to like know my Bible. So I asked like different people, give me the commentaries. And I did like this deep dive into the book of Romans. I'd go to Starbucks. I'd do two, three hour devotionals. Just like breaking down what is Paul saying in the book of Romans. Awesome time. Love that time. But now I have kids. Now I am working full time. Back when I was doing that, I had no job. So I had two, three hours to kill. And I used it, I thought, pretty well, just getting deep in the Bible. But a lot of you, you don't have that time where you could devote like two to three hours. Or even if you, that's the way you study the Bible, man, tomorrow morning you wake up, you go, oh, I have to read this Matthew, but there's these two commentaries I should read. I'm so tired. And it ends up being, it's either you just don't read your Bible because you want to read it right. And you just don't read it, therefore. That's why I actually had it in our community group. We're joking because we're saying, hey, you know, I don't, I, I need, the only way I can read my Bible is through like the physical Bible, not through the app. And so because I don't have my Bible with me, a physical one right now, I just don't read my Bible. I'm like, dude, that's insane. Just read the app. Just read the, it's Okay. The, the form, this, that's, but you know, that's kind of our mentality. Like, I have to read it the right way. And so for a lot of us, it's like there's this disciplined way, there's this super like, intense way, and we just kind of struggle, and we don't really engage God still. And so how can we read the Bible in a way where we're, in, we're able to read it, and we're not just engaging this, but we're engaging, again, the God of the Bible? And this is where I propose a third way, which I would call spiritual reading. Spiritual reading. Spiritual reading is prayerfully reading the scriptures with the purpose of sensing God's presence and hearing his voice. Now, if you hear his real voice, awesome. Most of us, that won't happen. By his voice, meaning what he's saying in the words. Like, you hear him, what he's speaking. And by hearing his voice, it's not just paying attention to what God is saying in the past, what he said to Moses, what he said to Jacob, but what, he, what is he saying to you right now through this? What is he saying? This has ancient roots, some call it Lectio Divina, that's started in the 12th century. Uh, I, I, I propose like a modified version of that where it's, this is just a model of reading. For those of us who, you know, you just feel dry reading this, you've done the whole, I, re- I read it, I apply it, and for some reason it's just not really doing it. This is where you're really trying to have the spirit present as you read this. I know there's some dangers where it sounds kind of kooky. Some of the stuff, it could be kooky. And also, it could be subjective. Like, wait, are you really understanding the way it's supposed to be understood? I totally get the dangers. But the blessing is, but God is here. You're sensing God is here. You're sensing God is speaking. 
And you're doing, you're inviting the Spirit to be involved as you're reading. So what does it look like to read the Bible spiritually? Uh, Very practically, this is a nice acronym, and I still use this to this day. An acronym that I use is the acronym PRAY. When you read the Bible, you pray through it, and by prayer, this is how it's broken down. P meaning pause, read and reflect, ask and yield. When you read your Bible, you try to pause first, you read and reflect, then you ask, then you yield. Let's break it down little by little. First, pause. When you read the Bible, for a lot of us, tomorrow morning, let's say I read my Bible in the morning, or I try to, I don't know about you, you wake up, brush your teeth, shower, and you just grab your Bible, and you turn to the page, and man, like you're just worried about the day, you're distracted, you're reading, you don't know what you're reading, and you're just thinking about, well, I have to have this uh, scheduling thing that's going on, and you're just going to get anything out of it. Because we're just going to the text right away. And it's so puzzling because you don't do that with anybody that you encounter. If you're reading a book, you'll do that. But you ever imagine, if you're meeting the living God, reading this, you have to kind of get ready for that. If after church today, if I said, hey, come over for lunch, I would not just come over the same time as you and just say, welcome to my home. Like, I would drive home half an hour early. I would tidy up my place. I would get the snacks ready. And then when you come, welcome. I want to be prepared for you to come in. For us, if we're encountering the living God when we're reading this, we need to be prepared to meet him. We don't prepare our homes, we prepare our hearts. Come before God, and before you open this, pause, breathe. Take a moment to just sit there, get the phone, put it away. Don't let the phone distract you. Or if you need the phone to check the time, turn off all notifications for that moment. Just put that away, pause, silence and solitude, be still, breathe in. Say a short prayer, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Just one or two minutes. You're just slowing down, preparing your heart to listen to God, inviting the Spirit to come. It's very small, and yet it does a big difference. Pause and be still. Then once you're still and you're ready, secondly is you read and you reflect. When you read the text, what this means is read through it, and as you're reading it, there are going to be parts you don't understand. Again, if you want to do the commentary thing, do be my guest. If you've got an hour to do it, do go ahead and do it, because, again, it's awesome. But let's pretend you're like me, where, you, man, I don't have that much time, but I want to get something from the text. You read it, and if it's a short passage, what you do is you read it slowly, and you pause when something stands out to you. Like, huh, this verse, for some reason, it stands out. I don't know why, but it just stands out, and you pause. Or if you're going through the Bible reading plan, you're going through three chapters at a time, read through it, and all of a sudden a verse pops out. Like, why does this verse pop out to me? Keep going, take note of it, keep going, and then once you're done reading, go back to that verse and be like, What's, why did that stand out to me? For example, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah, the longest book in the Old Testament, so long. And I was reading it, and you know, I was going through chapter 37, 39, I'm like, dude, I for, totally forgot. My seminary just went away, because I'm like, what is this saying? Totally forgot. But one passage that stood out to me was in Jeremiah 38, verse 17, where all of a sudden Jeremiah says, oh, he went to the king Zedekiah, who was the king of Israel, and he gave him a choice and pretty much do this and God will let you live, do this and you will die. And for some reason, I was like, that stood out to me. And I just kept reading and I just, for some reason, like, why did that stand out? And after you read, what happens is you reflect. Uh, some call it meditation, where you remember that phrase, you remember that verse, you remember this past, the part of the passage, and you just let it ruminate in your mind. You let it kind of stick in your brain. The Bible actually talks way more about meditating on scripture than reading it. 
The word meditation in Hebrew, it's hagah. It literally means to, grow, to growl or to moan. It, the imagery is of a lion growling while he's eating something. That's what we're called to do. With the Bible, we don't just read it, but we growl, we meditate, we chew on it, we soak it all in. And as you do this, you're not primarily looking at, well, what exactly is the exegetical explanation here? But you're trying to understand not what God was saying just then, but what is he saying to you right now? Just two to three minutes. Like, what is he saying to you right now? Tim Keller, I like the way he, he paraphrases it. He says, read a text and begin to meditate on it until the Holy Spirit starts to preach to you. Why is that passage just standing out to you? Why does that speak to your soul? It might just be your brain waves are moving and it's connecting that way, or could it be the Spirit of God is doing something to grab your attention? And when the Spirit of God is moving and when you're reading and you're reflecting, then that leads to the third step, which is ask. This is the time where your reflection, your meditation, it becomes a prayerful conversation with God, where you talk to him about what you read. Why did this passage stand out to you? What does this passage make you think about? How does this apply to you today? One author, he says it like this, quote, think of scripture as God's part of the script. Prayer is our part. Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation. Prayer is our response. The paradigm shift happens when you realize the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you will never run out of things to talk about. For example, that passage in Jeremiah 38, you know, Zedekiah, like, I'm not a king of Israel. I'm not, the Babylonians aren't going to come crush me. But I do have choices coming this day, and that's interesting. I have a lot of church choices about the church, about my marriage, about even just this practical day. And I could make choices that are godly. I could make choices that aren't godly. And what are the choices? And I just started having a conversation with God in that moment. Like, what is going on? Like, what are you trying to say to me at that time? Now, again, a lot of criticism about this that I heard a lot, and I totally get, is you can totally get that passage and run with it. Like, you could totally just abuse, like, you know, and this is what God's trying to say to me. I, you know, I'm meant to marry that girl. And we're gonna just going to get married. And that's kind of like how you could take it. And again, real danger. Don't do that. You should understand the text as well. But here's the thing. I think what's actually more troubling is somebody who never wrestles with a text versus someone who wrestles with it. I'd rather have a bunch of people in the church who are wrestling with a text and you sometimes get it wrong versus some people you never wrestle with. You go, that's, just, yeah, that's what God says. And you forget what you just read that entire day. Which one is more formative to you? And I'd rather have the second one, in my opinion, or the one that you're wrestling with it. Because that's a real relationship. You rest, You struggle. You try to understand. You mess up sometimes. That's relationships. And that's what this is trying to do. You're asking God. And then comes the last part. After you do that, this is the best part. You yield. What do I mean by yield? Meaning when you're done reading, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm done reading, you read your Bible, you go, amen. Take out the phone and you go and you watch Singles Inferno or you, you go on your email and you just kind of watch things and you just totally go and move on. And... Instead of doing that, what yielding is, is, hey, before you, before you go there, close your Bible, pause, and be still, and just enjoy God's presence. Just be still with him. Since he's here, since the spirit is present with you, you might just sit quietly and just feel. I know for a lot of Asian Americans, you don't feel. But you're just kind of like, oh, I feel something for some reason. Hello, feelings. I haven't met you in a long time, but you're just kind of feeling something. Um, I told you it'd be a little kooky. Uh, you might praise God. Like, you know, God, you're good. You might imagine, I know for me, one thing I've been doing is kind of weird. I imagine Jesus just sitting there. And for some reason, he's like this white European Jesus because I'm just used to those paintings. But I'm like, I know that's not Jesus. But, you know, I'm just imagining Jesus is here. 
What's like his disposition towards me? Like, I just kind of imagine that sometimes. I'm just sitting in his presence. David Brenner, he's a psychologist. He says, when you do this, this is like uh, reading a love letter from your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And as soon as you're done, he's right there. He's present with you. And now you're in their presence, just enjoying being with them. And this is similar how we, how we read the Bible, where you're not just engaging the Bible, but you're engaging the God of the Bible. He's here. He's alive. Like, do you really believe he's alive and he just spoke to you? And sometimes when you do this, you won't feel anything. Sometimes like, yeah, you're here, but I don't feel it. That's okay. But sometimes God surprises you where you feel the presence of a spirit just kind of there, moving, resting in you. How do you know like the spirit is moving in you? Like, some examples of this might be, well, you just feel this love of God for some reason and you don't know why. It could be just what happened. You feel peace. Like, you, know, you have a lot of meetings today, but a little more peace in that. You feel uh, kindness. Like, you know, I should be nicer to my wife. I should be nicer to my kids. In other words, you're feeling the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The Spirit's just kind of moving in you. And when you do that, what you sense that what happens is you're now in this process. You're becoming aware of God's presence as you're reading this. It's not just this information thing that's going on. You're conversing with God because you really believe God is there because you are now engaging not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible. It's very simple. It takes no longer than 15, 20 minutes just sensing his presence. And I know for a lot of us, as you hear this, this feels a little weird because a lot of us, if you're like me, you struggle relating to God this way because God is like our Asian parent. You know, Asian parents, what they tell you, right? Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. Yes, nah, uh-huh, I'll do it, father, I'll do it, mother. And it's just kind of this one-way conversation. And that's how we treat the Bible. That's how we treat God. Just tell me what to do. Oh, okay, and you don't do it, <laughs> you walk away. That's the interactions that we have. But God of the Bible, he is not that type of God. Because that type of relationship with the parent, there's a reason why a lot of us, we don't like spending time with our parents sometimes. There's uh, emotional distance. There's, cause there's no dialogue. It's just being told what to do. But throughout the Bible, God's always in conversation with his people. Jesus is always asking questions because God wants there to be a genuine relationship where you are interacting with him. That's what we're supposed to do. And you know what's awesome? You know what the best part is? When you spend time like just sitting with God, being in his presence, hearing his voice as you read the Bible, you know what the best benefit of all that is? Keep doing that, and you won't just sense his presence here and reading, hearing his voice when you read this. You sense his presence everywhere. You begin to hear his voice everywhere. One day, there was an event that my son, he went to, and when we came to pick him up, uh, I saw one of the parents at this event lecturing my son with like other kids, and I was like, what's going on? And then when I went to the parent, they said, oh, I'm so sorry, but your son, he did something bad he pushed down one of the kids and that kid started crying. And I was like, my, you know, my son isn't like a violent man, so that was kind of interesting. So I pulled my son, he's like you know, seven at the time. I pulled him aside and I said, hey, did you push down a kid? He's like, yeah. And I was like, why did you push him down? He's like, because of you, dad. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about because of me? And he said, oh, like, it's because of what you say to me all the time. I'm like, what do I say to you? He said, you say we need to respect women, right? And I was like, oh, because that's one of the things I keep telling, like, respect women, respect women. He's like, well, that kid, he was hitting all the girls, and I saw that, and that's not respecting women. So I went to him, and I pushed him down. 
And I, when he said it to me, I was like, huh, I don't know if I should like discipline you or hug you. Like it's it like a weird moment for me because I was like, wow, like you took in those moments that I repeated to you over and over again in our little conversations. In other words, like those moments in the bedroom where I was talking to him and he heard me and he heard me, he started hearing me everywhere. Everywhere he went, he just heard respect women. It was, it was interesting, a fascinating observation that was there. And in a similar way, this is the benefit for us. Should you take that job? Should you marry that person? Should you move? Why are you in the situation that you're in? What's God trying to do for you right now? What's the plan? A lot of you have no idea. You don't hear his voice. Because you never take moments to hear his voice. God speaks most clearly through his word. He invites you to be familiar, to be in his presence, to hear him. So that when you're away from his word, which is most of the day, keep doing this and you hear his, you hear his voice everywhere. You sense his presence of all of creation. But it all begins here. It all begins with engaging in him and hearing him what he has to say. And he has something to say because that leads to the last point, which is why bother reading the Bible? You know, I try reading the entire Bible every year. Like I try to start from Genesis all the way to Revelation once a year, every year. I've been doing it for the past few years. It's still hard. Like, you know, I, I love the Bible. It's, it's awesome. But it's still challenging sometimes. But one thing that keeps me motivated, especially when you go through a book like Jeremiah or those long books that feel like, man, how is this relevant to me? Is the scriptures always talks about how every part of it is written for us, for our instruction. Romans 15 verse 4, the, pa- the last passage that's in your programs, the Apostle Paul writes, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, what Paul is saying is that every book in this library called the Bible, every narrative, every poem, every epistle, every verse, it is written not for the scholar, not for the pastor, but for you. All of you who are busy working to nine to five and you are so tired after a long, busy day, your brain is fried, your emotions are exhausted because people are just messed up, coworkers, customers, this is for you. All of you stay-at-home moms who you have to cook nonstop, you have to clean, you have to repeat the cat ten times over and over again, it's for you, for your instruction, for your hope, for your encouragement. All of you restless young adults, you feel purposeless, and so you cope with your life, you you try to party, you try to go out because you're trying to cope, you try to maintain, you're trying to stay sober. God has something to say to you. God has something to say. There's a word for you, for your instruction, for your hope, and for your encouragement. And we know this. This is for sure. You know why? Do you guys know what, written, what, what language the Bible was originally written in? You guys know the original language the Bible was written in? The whole Bible. Like the, the, one, the first copy of the Bible where the whole Old Testament, New Testament is written in. Do you guys know what the language that it was written in? This is going to sound really nerdy. And it's going to be a little bit nerdy, but I promise it's relevant. The original language of the Bible was Greek. It was written in Greek. Now, in the first century, though, when the Bible was written, uh, there were two types of Greeks. There is classical Greek, and there is Koine Greek, which is common Greek. Classical Greek is the Greek that you write everything on. All the books, all the letters, you write in classical Greek. Koine Greek is like the common language Greek. You speak it. You talk to each other in in Koine Greek. But if you want to write something important, classical Greek, that's the way that you go. 
Now, centuries later, whenever archaeologists discovered written works in the first century, all the books were written in classical Greek because that's the language you use. That's the language that you, know, you want to make sure is preserved, it's beautiful, plus books are really expensive. You want to make sure it's like the most beautiful language that's there. And so that's uh, the way most books were written. But when scholars discovered the Bible, early copies of the Bible, it was really confusing because it was not written in classical Greek, which is what all the books were written in. And in fact, a lot of the Greek words in the Bible manuscripts, they actually were really unfamiliar. There are 500 words like, dude, what are these Greek words? Some people thought this must be the language of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit made up a new Greek language. And so that's what's going on. Because what are these words? Everything changed, though, in the year 1897, where archaeologists, they went to ancient Alexandria, and they discovered under this pile of trash, this bucket with all these scraps of paper filled with Greek letters. And they're like, what is going on? There's like, it's like shopping lists, it's business receipts, it's like letters that uh, husbands are write to their wives. And the writing in these letters were super unfamiliar too. It's like, what kind of Greek language is this? Because it wasn't classical. You know what kind of Greek it was? It was Koine Greek. It was the common Greek language. The reason why it's so unfamiliar is nobody wrote in Koine Greek. It's, it's like text messaging. What's up, dude? You don't write that in a formal letter. You just write it and discard it. That's the type of thing you would do. And what's so surprising, though, in all those receipts and the trashy stuff where you find those random Greek words, those are all the words that were in the New Testament that they couldn't recognize. In other words, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It was written in the language that would be used and spoken not by these kings and these scholars and these literary works, but by the common person on the street. That's how the Bible was written. Why on earth would the Bible, God's word, be written in the most common, casual type of Greek language? Because Jesus, he didn't come to die for the powerful. He did not come to die for the elite, for the religious, for the scholarly. He came to die for the lowly, for the weak, for the commoner. And that's why the Bible is not written in the language of the elite, of the scholastic. It is written in the language of fishermen, of prostitutes, of homemakers, in the type of language they would speak to each other on the streets. Because that's who God wants to speak to. That's who God wants to engage. It's the type of language that he wants to engage you with, where you are at right now. God wants to speak to you because he has a word to say to you, not just when you're here at church, but when you're in the marketplace, when you're at home, when you are out God wants to speak to you, and he uses a language to speak to you. That's how he came. That's how he speaks. And I tell you, everybody here in this room, we are all going through stuff that people have no idea what you're going through. We all look good right now. After service, we're all going to say, how's life? How's your week? It was great. But I know some of you are going through stuff that you just cannot share with people because it's so heavy. I had a brother who shared with us in this past week. He was gone the whole week, and he was gone because he was like, you know, sorry, I was gone. I was missing, but I have a family member with special needs, and my parents were gone, and so I had to take care of that person, and I realized, like, well, someone always says take care of this person. It must be so hard on my parents because they were gone for vacation for the first time and since they got married, and they just, he's got a glimpse of what his parents still take, does, and they lovingly do it, but he, it's just heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff that people just don't know. I know a sister in our church, she, she has a father who lives far away. He's in the hospital because he has cancer. 
and she's visiting, taking care of him, visiting him, taking care of her mom, who's taking care of him. And recently they got news, like he's coming home, not because the cancer is better, but he's just kind of done with the hospital. And they have no idea what's going to happen, but he's just home. I know a mom who she shares how she spends all day at home watching her baby, and she sees all of our Insta stories of us eating out, traveling, hanging out, having a great time while she's at home 24-7 with this baby. Nobody notices her. Nobody says, great job, mom. You're keeping that baby alive. She doesn't insta-story this because who cares? Who watches that stuff, right? That's her burden. This is her life. I know a lot of you are going through stuff, everyday stuff that you don't really see at church. And most of us don't see it because it's heavy, it's burdensome. And that's what we have to remember. God, he has a word for you. Every single day, where you are at, He has a word for you in the marketplace, in the home, because that's the type of language he used to communicate with his people. That's the type of God who he comes and he dies for people like that. And he wants you to come, receive life from him, receive a word from him, because he has a word. Because the God is God living. His spirit is moving and he is present with us. Imagine if every single day you wake up in the midst of the burdensomeness of life and you know that God has a word to say to you because his spirit is alive in you. This is the type of God we worship, and this is why he gives us his Bible, so that we can hear him speak and we can engage, not just with this, but with him. And so to conclude, if this is your first time in our church, just know this is our first time as a church doing a deep dive into scripture, where we're trying to really understand the story. Uh, But just know this is not the last time. We want this to be a practice that our church regularly does. And that's why we preached on this, That's why we created groups for this. That's why we created a Bible reading plan. We just want you to come and engage with the God of the Bible. We did everything we could as a church, but now it's up to you. I have a clear conscience saying it's up to you. We did everything we could. It's your choice now. Will you engage with not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible? And you have that choice every single day. Because every single day, God wants to say something to you. And so as I like the praise team up, I know for some of us, again, maybe it's been a while since we engaged not just the Bible, but God. Or maybe for some of us, it kind of feels weird to engage God. And so I thought as we close this series, we could do it together. Let's take a moment to pause and invite the Spirit into this place. You don't have to think of anything. Just take a moment to pause, to be still, to sense his presence here, to sense the Spirit moving Let's just just pause for a moment and then I'll invite us just to do a couple more things and then we'll close and respond with singing. But let's take a first moment to pause and to be still. Sense the Spirit's presence moving. Sense God is here. Sense God, he is speaking. But let's just sense...